Good afternoon and welcome to Auto Retail Live in partnership with Auto Trader. Uh, when we last were on air, it was the 10th of December. Just two days earlier, we'd had the first jab of the uh, vaccine for coronavirus. Now, with more than 12 million jabs in various arms up and down the country, uh, there certainly is mood for optimism. Uh, also today, we have seen the used car data issued by the SMMT. And whilst not exactly a cause for jumping for joy, perhaps the results were better than expected. So it is with a positive outlook in mind uh, that we start the first briefing through Auto Retail Network for 2021 and a great panel of guests taking the conversation forward this afternoon. And of course, you're part of that conversation. Uh, we most welcome your comments and discussions in the dialogue box. Uh, if you type in your question, uh, then it will be picked up by Tristan, uh, our editor, and we'll feed through into the conversation. So to our guests this afternoon, I'm delighted to welcome James Brearley for his first appearance with us. Uh, James, the CEO of... Uh, UK. A welcome return from Rawdon Glover, the Managing Director of Jaguar Land Rover UK, and a familiar face in Plummer, the Commercial Director for Auto Trader. So let's jump straight in uh, to the start of 2021. We've had one month down. We have, of course, got the big month of March, or was the big month of March ahead of us. Uh, James, why don't we start off with you? Tell us about January performance um, in the franchise network. I think uh, it depends how you look at it, I suppose. But if you look at overall January performance, um, it's probably better than we would have first anticipated it. You know, uh, once we got the sort of shock lockdown, I think, um, you know, most people, the message from the government was really clear, wasn't it? It was a lot more um, stay at home really with intent than it was probably in lockdown too. So we worried at that point that, you know, customers would stop shopping. Um, we, you know, we took a reasonably brave pill and, and didn't furlough anybody. We kept the showrooms operating. And we kept the workshops operating, obviously COVID safe and not allowing customers in, et cetera. Um, but off the back of that, we've had a pretty good time actually in January relative to what it could have been. So we we, we, we were effectively sort of 20% down on new car sales vis-a-vis -vis the market down 40, used cars about 40% down and, and, and after sales around about 20% down. So you know, in relative terms, we were quite pleased with that. And, and working forward, obviously, March, big month, important month. We don't quite know where it's going to stay, whether lockdown is going to continue or it's going to come off. But um, are there issues, are there any issues with supply or you're able to get vehicles as, as you need them? For new car supply, I mean, right this minute, we have pretty good visibility for all the brands we represent. Um, you know, supply is OK. We've, you know, we, we, we've had plenty of knowledge to work to the, the supply level. So it's in line with the contracts and what we expected. Uh, used car supply is much, you know, I mean, a really strong message for me today is used cars are really difficult to get hold of. Uh, and therefore, we all deserve to make decent margin from them. So, you know, that is much more difficult. It's much more difficult to acquire stock, obviously, in lockdown. Let's uh, turn to Rawdon. Uh, Rawdon, welcome uh, back to Auto Retail Live. Um, tell us about the start of the year and, and thinking about the first quarter. How are things looking um, from manufacturer side from Jaguar Land Rover? Sure. Um, well, thanks for having me back. Um, in terms of, um, I guess, the early start from January, it, it was a different start to the one that perhaps we'd anticipated. Uh, initially going in, we thought probably January would be more like November in terms of lockdown two. Um, and actually, the market clearly was, was more severely impacted. But interestingly for us, 
certainly at, at, at Jaguar Land Rover. We saw about a 10% degradation year on year on orders going back to November and, and registrations about the same. Registrations were more severely hit in January, but there's a lot more demand out there. So our order take has been much, much more positive in that period. So actually, if we look at our January orders taken, they're 120% of prior year, which confounds logic if you think showrooms are closed or we can't do a single test drive. Um, and actually, February is even more positive. February is running probably near 170 across across the piece. So I think it's a very difficult market to call, uh, but there's clearly a lot of demand out there, and I'm sure Ian will talk to it when we look at our things like our web traffic. Um, on the site, literally as of today, um, I, we've not seen higher web traffic than that literally for 12 months. Now, some of that is obviously seasonal, and you would expect January and February to be better months. But it's um, there's definitely demand out there. Clearly, we're not able to liquidate that demand in terms of registrations. But in terms of orders taken and interest being shown, actually, it, it's it's very different to lockdown one and lockdown two from that uh, from that perspective. So pretty positive for us. Ian, let's take a look at that at that consumer interest and the consumer demand at the moment. I mean, we've got James there saying yes, despite not being able to, you know, test drive and not be fully open selling stuff. Rawdon's got great interest and demand um, for models. Does that chime with your experience across the whole market, new and used? Um, broadly, yes. Uh, we're seeing very strong levels of demand on Autotrader. We're seeing an audience that's now up 5% uh, cumulatively for this year on prior year. If you bear in mind the prior year, we started uh, equally with a strong audience number on a very strong um, new and used car market. So I think that's a very, very good sign of, of intent. Uh, and uh, as Rodan and uh, James both indicated, at least of consideration, if not yet always in terms of transactions and flowing through to sales. In terms of sales in used cars, we've got a, a proxy sales measure, which we used to you know, basically measure the, the cars that are put on and taken off for Autotrader, which we map back to SMMT data, and it shows that the uh, the used car numbers we're seeing at the moment that you just touched on for 2020 are flowing reasonably positively into 2021 with a, a number around 30, maybe slightly slightly more than 30% back on prior year. So slightly better than, than new cars. That was the case equally for the whole of 2020. Used was more resilient than new. Um, equally, though, we're seeing very, very strong metrics on new cars where uh, inquiry rates, lead volumes and so on on new cars compared to prior year before pandemic period when, like uh, Rodan highlighted, we'd expect to see good volumes. We're seeing double the rate of, uh, of new car leads, so very strong overall. We can't predict the future, um, much as everybody would like to, but we, we can plan and prepare. and and. There is a lot of pressure, a lot of discussion going on from the national um, trade bodies and from various people to say, you know, we need to be looking forward to uh, an opportunity for people to be in the showroom um, and for people to buy cars. So, James, as we perhaps um, head towards an exit of, of maybe lockdown, um, what, what, what are you doing and, and what should we be doing in the industry uh, to prepare for that opportunity? Well, I guess, I mean, it depends depends on you know where you are in terms of furlough and furloughing your staff i guess if you if you've got a number of you people that um are, uh, are not working at the moment then the first thing you need to do is consider when and how you bring them back um uh, as i say for us we've made the decision not to do that this time around um but if you are you know if i cast my mind back to the first lockdown if you are in that position then i think it probably helps to sort of understand the general thinking around when we're likely to reopen um i 
think it, and, and you know, the, the, the information I can glean as best as I can from from the trade bodies that, that we deal with, who are lobbying government for a reopening. You know, most people are saying, look, you know, whilst we're lobbying for a sort of mid-March reopening, it's probably unlikely that we'll we'll open until the the end of March. So I think that's the first critical thing. You, you you've just got to take a view, I guess, with you know how much notice you you intend to give your team to come back off off furlough. But I mean, certainly, if I reflect back again to the first lockdown for us, we had people in with at least a week to go, just to you know get back into the into the scheme of things, refresh their memory as to you know what are really COVID safe operating processes. You know how does it work? I guess most of the larger groups and probably most of the independents have you know the perspex screens up and have have really safe measures, but it might be an idea to just refresh um, all of your team in terms of the you know how they can walk in the showroom, how many people at a time, what the what the distances are, and all all that sort of stuff. So I think I think there's some practical stuff that they can they can do there. And, and, and obviously you went, as you said, a different route for this lockdown, keeping people on, whereas not for the first time. How has that played out in terms of, has it, has it benefited you to have people working through rather than being on furlough? Well, I mean, frankly, for us, it was a risk, um, but we thought it was a, a risk work worth taking. We, uh, we furloughed people in the original lockdown, as I've said earlier on, and, and we gradually brought them back on a sort of staggered basis. But what we found very, very quickly when we reopened uh, back in the middle of last year was that demand was really strong. So whilst we'd kind of sat and laid out a plan that said, you know, bring back 50% of your people and then and then move it back up. Um, actually, reality, within a week or 10 days, we realized we were gonna miss an opportunity unless we brought the people back in. So we did it really quickly. Um, now, actually then through the second lockdown, which wasn't, as we all know, as severe, um, our hunch was, well, you know, it was a known quantity. It was a month. Let's just operate as we are. Um, and, and actually, that worked for us. We we performed really well, actually, through that period. Uh, and, and in all honesty, and frank, you know, frankly, we probably um, benefited from some dealers that were shut, in all, in all honesty, um, or had, had got stuff, stuff furloughed. Um, so our approach coming into this one was, well, OK, we're better off keeping the team in and then seeing how it goes and how long it extends. I, I, I can only say, you know, for January for us, that has played off without question. You're watching Auto Retail Live, our quarter one briefing. Thank you for joining us uh, this afternoon for today's programme. If you have comments and questions, please do free, feel free to type them in. Uh, we'll have uh, time for questions uh, once we've been around the panel. Um, and you can, of course, use the hashtag ARNLive if you are following via social media. Rawdon, from a JLR perspective, um, obviously we, we're, we're talking about hopefully um, the market opening up and, and being able to get into the showroom. Um, what, what does that mean, though, if, if lockdown does continue into March for you? Yeah, I think I think James's assessment is probably about right uh, in terms of, you know, it's probably optimistically mid-March earliest, um, probably um, most, um, you know, hopefully worst case uh, start of April. I, I think I think our path is very, very similar to what Sir James has said. I think uh, if we cast our mind back to where we were on initial reopening, it did take a lot of education, a lot of new processes that our retailer staff needed to get uh, to grips with. I actually think that will be now become second nature for them in terms of going back into those habits. So I'm probably not really concerned about the length of time it's going to take us to gear up into new protocols. I think the one change uh, from, from that I can see is at the moment, 
there's only one way to an order a car at the moment. You can do it on the phone. You can have a video. You know, it's all done digitally, all done remotely. And um, certainly, if you know, if I cast my mind back to the, you know the sort of orders we've been taking in the last couple of months, I think our network pretty much as a whole are doing that pretty well. But that's it's quite binary at the moment because there's only one way to deal with it, and, the, and you set yourself up to manage inquiries in that way. I suspect as we go into lockdown, you know, the end of lockdown three, um, not all customers are going to go back to the old way of working. And actually, it's going to be probably be more of a mixed economy where some customers are still going to choose to deal with us remotely. And I, I guess a significant proportion are going to want to come in physically and all of that pent-up demand for test drives. So if anything, actually, moving from a very binary, whilst quite challenging, but a very binary environment, to this sort of actually we're going to have a blend is probably the biggest challenge for us as a network and that's something we're just starting to get our heads around and ian and ian from a from a consumer perspective there there, there was there have been reports there was a report in the times talking about pent-up demand for um of, of people with money to spend who who want to go out and spend it um, you, you're seeing that through the platform you mentioned earlier expression you know interest is up is it is that interest um, across all types of technology, because we're now living in a world where there's obviously electric vehicles, there's traditional, and so on. Do you do you see that that spend and that ability going across all types of vehicles? Broadly speaking, yes. We've seen throughout last year, for example, growth of demand for all the buckets of cars, if you like, splitting it by price bandings or by age bandings. Uh, EVs took a bit of a dent during the first lockdown. I think we resorted to what we knew. That's changed now. EVs are surging, particularly since the, uh, the announcements that Boris Johnson made in November. Um, we've seen uh, literally doubling and then a quadrupling of interest in EVs. Levels of stock on the site at the moment, new and used EVs are nearly equally not far off double what they were a year prior. So there's, there's a huge trend there towards EVs, Al. But I think the, the consumer trends I'd pick out that sort of play to the point around this uh, pent-up demand being really quite quite significant and very very much a, a substantive thing. It's not a it's not mythical. Uh, uh, probably three factors. Firstly, um, we, we regularly survey consumers on our site as well as obviously map their their, their behaviours and then leaving their footprint on the site. But one in two of consumers are now telling us that owning a car is more important to them now than it was pre-pandemic. That number's grown over the over the last months. It was around a third just a couple of months ago. So that's that's definitely partly down to the fact that you've got about 10, 11% of people who are saying that they're specifically in the market to, to buy a car to avoid public transport. So a private space is really a, a big factor there. The second point is that the consumer's confidence in being able to afford their next car is actually growing, um, despite the, uh, the talk of uh, obviously very... Um, uh, worrying signs of uh, unemployment, um, unemployment levels sort of rising and some, um, some clearly uh, distressing cases that individuals have to face. The Bank of England stats that were out recently pointed, as you touched on, to very strong underlying uh, levels of debt that have been paid down, levels of, uh, uh, of resources that have been built up in households. So the, the metric that we track is showing that eight, an 8.7 score out of 10 in terms of affordability, that number was around 7.8 before uh, Christmas last year. It dropped into the sevens in March, but other than that, it's been in the eights ever since, and it's now at a record level. The third thing that really plays out to this point is that people are saying they want to do more online, more of the car buying journey online, not just the research and so on, that we've historically always done, but to Rawdon's point, um, Clearly, people will want to do a lot of the final touches in the emotional side of car buying within retailers, seeing, touching, driving, smelling even the car. 
but 45% of people want to do more of the car buying journey online, and that's likely not going to change post the, this current lockdown. It didn't change in between lockdown one and lockdown two in particular. So that's a growing trend that I think we can all benefit from, to be honest. Lots of lots of positive news there, uh, Ian. James, as we as we let's dive into March. As we as we think now about March and and potential opportunity, normally around this kind of year time of year, um, you would probably be thinking about consumer campaigns. There'd be ways to get people into the showroom. You'd be building towards a, a big month. So, what happens in 2021 um, with lockdown? Despite the good news we've heard from Ian and and other trends going the right way, what's happening this time around? So I, I think, I mean, I think Ian nailed it, actually. The the fact is we are getting high levels of inquiries. I mean, it doesn't matter who you talk to. It doesn't matter which franchise group you talk to. It doesn't matter, to, you know, which um, which manufacturer you talk to. There, there are high levels of interest. Um, that is underpinned without question for the two, the two big factors that Ian mentioned is you know, people have more money, assuming they're still working. Um, and, and, you know, frankly, whilst it's terrible for the people that, that are unemployed, there are a lot less people unemployed today than were predicted, you know, even even three months ago, but certainly 12 months ago. So I think, you know, there's, there's, there's an underlying current. You've also got a factor which we haven't talked about today, which is um, the high level of PCPs that have been sold through, you know, through, through the last number of years. And if I go back to post-global financial crisis, we... The business that I was in at the time, we'd got typically a sort of new car finance penetration rate of about 70%, with 80%, 85% of those on a PCP. Today, and, and for the last three years, most franchise dealers, I think, have been in the in the region around about 90% penetration and about 95% penetration of, of um, future value type products like PCP. That means that people are every day getting a letter on their doorstep that says, what do you want to do? Do you want to buy another car? Do you want to part exchange the, the current one or do you want to pay it off? And I, I don't really think the environment we're in is conducive to people saying, well, do you know what, I'll pay, it, I'll pay off the loan, take it out of savings and, and just carry on. So the reality is there's lots and lots of people are getting that prompt daily. Um, and, you know, from a practical perspective, we're geared, we've geared ourselves up to make sure that we're really, really good at finance renewals um, remotely. And, you know, so again, as a, as a practical bit of help to anybody, if, you, if you've not done that, I suggest it, it might be to your benefit to do so. See, you quite rightly say, Al, we're not going to get an influx of people, you know, walking through the showroom door probably in, in the month of March, at any point of the month of March. But I'd go back a bit further and say, I'm not sure we, we, we have done for a lot of years. So, you know, I, I've heard lots and lots of people say that, you know, COVID is the great accelerator and customer buying habits have moved online. But actually... It's certainly, I was thinking before this call that the first consumer website in this industry that I was involved with was one called usejag.com back in 1999. And you know, so an auto trader moved online a long time ago, you know, sort of before then. So I think consumer habits have been changing rapidly. I think the difference is today that a lot of retailers have realized that actually the final piece, the ability to allow customers to reserve and pay online, was the bit that they were missing. And now they can at least get that commitment. So I think I think that's the that's the bit that's probably accelerated. Reality is consumers have been shopping online and narrowing their choice down before they spoke to dealers for a long, long time. And it's, it's the dealers that have kind of been saying, well, you know, now you've narrowed your choice down. The, the telephone conversation or email conversation is a positive one. Please come down and see me. I'm not sure it's probably um, changed as much as we think it has. So it's okay. Those are all good points, but. You're looking at March, which is normally a huge month. 
At the moment, it's completely uncertain. Um, you're sitting on top of a big, you know, listed company. Are you confident the numbers can turn around towards the end of the year, even if we have not a great March, or are you worried about the way 2021 is going to end? It's a great question, Al. I mean, reality is, if, if I if I was sitting there and, and saying, well, I think March will be fantastic, you know, I mean, you, you'd have me carted away, I'm sure. So March in isolation, of course, is going to be massively impacted. I mean, we you know we, we all know that. And we've we've predicted that. In our numbers, the same as everybody else would have done. However, I am confident, given all the metrics I can see internally and externally, the, the data that I get from Auto Trader, the information we get from the car manufacturers in, around inquiries, etc. I'm really confident that through April, May, and June, given where we are with vaccinations and some normality returning, that we can catch back a good proportion of what we'll lose in the isolated month of, of March. And, and again, you know, one thing that we've been working on with our teams is to make sure that. You know, in a normal period, in a normal year, we'd be saying to people, you're not allowed holiday in March and the first two weeks of, of April. I mean, actually, what we're doing at the moment is really encouraging them to take holiday, even though, you know, they're, they're, they're technically they're working, but they, they can't actually face-to-face -face meet a customer, in order to make sure we don't take holidays through April and May, um, such is the, the belief that we're, we've got a chance of catching back. You're watching Auto Retail Live, the quarter one briefing. Uh, thank you for joining us. Comments and questions, uh, we are collating now. So if you have something you'd like to contribute to the conversation, uh, please type it into the webinar. It makes its way to Tristan, and then we will bring it into the conversation. Uh, Rawdon, from a manufacturer perspective, Jaguar Land Rover, uh, this kind of on-off, on-off market, um, I'm sure it's challenging from a retail perspective, but you're actually making the stuff. So what's, what's the impact been for you as you're now trying to look through the year of supplying vehicles into that market? Yeah, it's definitely presents some different challenges to us um, than the retail network. And I think generally it's production planning that's our challenge in terms of you know, having to call the market and having to call the market probably three to six months ahead of, uh, of, of where we are. So that's definitely been the most challenging and it's clearly been a very dynamic uh, picture over the last over the last uh, eight, you know, over the last well, twelve months or so, um, so that's that's the big challenge for us. I think, in terms of just to really to pick up on James's view there, I think if we look at how we've responded as a market coming out of the previous lockdowns, it it, it actually demonstrates that you don't spat back really. Although I probably share some of James's optimism coming out of this time, because I think if you think coming out of lockdown one and two it was clear that that was not the end of of, of the of, of our being in a pandemic from an industry. Now with where we are from, I mean, you opened the, the, the broadcast today talking about the number of vaccinations, the fact that there is an end in sight, quite what the new normality is will all remain to be seen. But I think we are likely to see a different uh, response after this particular lockdown than we did coming out in the summer and uh, coming out into December time. So I think it's a, a very different environment. And certainly the, the points made around, you know, levels of uh, consumer debt, levels of money on account with, with customers. Uh, uh, the other point really is probably an inability to spend money on other large items that they would normally spend on. I suspect, you know, the, the, the foreign holding market, even in 21, will be severely constrained. So people will be looking for something else to spend their money on, but also be thinking of, well, actually, if they're going to be holiday in the UK, then actually having a new car is probably a good way to start. So I, I think if you look at it qualitatively, which we're doing, I think there are a number of reasons to be probably more optimistic that we are likely to get a bounce after this particular uh, lockdown than we have done historically.
And, and how does that work? Additional challenge, of course, the, the regulatory um, requirement around CO2 and balancing emissions and all those challenges, because you've got an uncertain, well, you've got a, a level of consumer demand, you've got an uncertain ability to build them because you've got to have to guess a certain, a certain way out. How, how do you manage that supply when you've also got to juggle your ultimate fleet CO2 emissions? Does that mean you will have to restrict the ability of some customers to buy some models? Uh, we didn't do that in the uh, in 2020, and certainly would not want to do that in 21. Um, how you do it? I guess it's the same way all the other AMs do it. You you, you work on a really granular basis. You reforecast every single month. Um, we've all probably got our own CO2 calculators that tells us exactly where we are as demand fluctuates or supply fluctuates between different different nameplates or different powertrains, and and it demands a level of uh, probably dynamism in the whole supply chain for us to respond to that because it's certainly I think for, for for all of us you know having this idea that you're actually going to you're going to turn it around in the last quarter and and and, and make true on your on your CO2 targets it, it's not it, not good for the industry not good for residuals and and certainly not our plan for this year but it, it, it's yeah not with that as challenges but as I say it just rely it just relies on uh, early sight. Um, and I guess at least this year, you would hope that as we go towards the last second half of the year, you'd expect a bit more stability than we saw in 2020. So that's probably another saving grace in terms of trying to manage towards our respective CO2 targets. Ian, let's just turn a little bit back to the consumer behaviour um, and thinking then about the issue of test drives, um, because there are, the, you know, the 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 regulations in theory say no test drives at the moment but people are still clearly prepared to buy cars have you got any further insight that as things open up that people will continue um that trajectory of buying without necessarily needing to get in the car well there are clearly a growing uh, number of, of consumers who are quite happy as you say buying without uh, test driving a car the, 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 those numbers are clearly the the proof of the pudding of the stats you've talked about regarding new and used car sales in the uh, month we've just had, for example. Um, we, in, in the research that we we, uh, we carry out, it's evident that a typical car buyer, if there is such a thing these days, does still enjoy the emotional engagement of actually touching and feeling a car, as I've described. In in very many cases, that is the, the necessary final step for many people. The earlier steps of the car buying journey are, are willfully now done more digitally, and I think retailers have done a fantastic job, brands equally, in embracing that sort of digital acceleration, the buzz we've all been talking about, and made, have made that, uh, that sort of process much, um, much, much easier, simpler, and more transparent. But there is still a need for many people to have that final test drive. And we've seen a lot of retailers grapple with the, the challenge about whether they should or shouldn't be doing this. And I think the clear advice um, that is given by the industry rightfully at the moment is that it is not a, an essential exercise to be giving a test drive to a consumer. Um, therefore, I think we should be confident that there is a, a cohort of consumers who are going to be waiting for that final sort of cherry on the cake, if you like, of their car buying journey, who will be, uh, if not flooding to the, to the dealerships physically, uh, they're still very keen to get maybe even a home test drive when that hopefully becomes possible in March, if not April. You're watching the Auto Retail Live Quarter One briefing. Uh, questions and comments uh, coming through. We still have time if you want to contribute to that. We'll we'll take our first question from uh, David Sheriff. Good afternoon, David, um, from Stephen Eagle. Uh, here's the here's the uh, 65 million, 64 million dollar question. I'm going to go to James first and then come to Rawdon. Um, when 
think retail will open again? Best guess. You won't be held to it, but let's have a best guess, James. First of April. First of April. Really okay. Simple. Yeah. What's your What's your guess? I'll be more optimistic. 16th of um, middle of March. Middle of March. Okay. So we've got an idea that something is going to happen before we get too far into spring. David, I hope that helps with your planning. Um, Rupert, good afternoon. Rupert Saunders uh, says, given the uncertainty about that reopening date, in terms of planning, what are you doing in terms of forecasting or are you trading day by day and, and how are you working in that way? James, we'll start with you and then perhaps Rawdon will come to think about some of the bonuses and margins. But uh, James, what are you doing? Day-to-day -day trading? Yeah, so thanks, Al, for that one. That is a difficult question. So we're, you know, we're clearly part of a, of a large, very large global public organisation, publicly owned company. So um, we have to forecast regularly. Um, so we can't we can't just simply take it. Well, it's trade day to day basis. So I, I mean, our really simple view, if you want it, is that you know we're in line with with what Lorden's just said. We are hoping that we could open the showroom doors to the second half of March, but we're planning to expect them to really open on the first of April. We therefore see uh, a, a hit in, in our total volume. I'm careful I don't mention any numbers, but we see a hit in our total volume of new cars in the March month. And we see some recovery through about 50% recovery as it happens through quarter two. That's that's our planning assumption. The interesting thing is, I don't think after sales in my, certainly in our experience has been anywhere near as hard hit. And we've got to remember as a retailer, we make a huge amount of money out of after sales. So it's much, much easier to predict your after sales position than, than, than it is clearly new car sales. And Rawdon, thinking about uh, the, the market from the manufacturer perspective, obviously supporting in terms of bonuses and, and sales commission, uh, where are you in planning that as you move forward? Yeah, we we look at where well, we forecast on a weekly basis with our retailer networks, um, and then we we and then with our global colleagues in terms of supply, uh, we we adjust and tweak on a, on a monthly basis. And I guess relative to to most of the industry, we're we're probably advantageous in the fact that we're, you know, our production is is closer to us. The fact that it's the vast majority of it is done domestically, um, so we can you know we can we can probably pivot and respond both you know to to dial up or down dial down probably slightly quicker than some of uh, our, our compatriots from from that perspective but yeah but that's that's literally you know how we do it we're, we're obviously keen to ensure that um retailer stock levels we've not really talked about that too much but certainly one of the one of the key characteristics of going into the first lockdown is i don't think we were unique but you know there was just there was an awful lot of stock in the industry because it wasn't expecting to go into lockdown in the middle of a peak month. Um, I think the industry seems to have got new car stock uh, under control. That's probably supporting some of the used car um, performances that we're seeing. So for us, that's the other criteria is, is we need to look at production, we need to look at sales, and we need to make sure we're keeping our new car stock uh, in reasonable shape. Um, and... I guess whilst it might be okay to you know to to be te you know technically overstocked for a month or two, it's not sustainable for any longer period than that. And we're we're certainly really really keen to make sure that we don't we don't return to an overstock that we saw really throughout uh, sort of Q2 particularly of last year. Ian, thinking about stock, you you see the flow of course of new and used coming through um, at Auto Trader, and I guess as, as we saw the numbers um, earlier from the SMT for the for the used car market towards the end of the year, a smaller market, but probably trading at higher margins. So so actually, stock isn't too much of a problem at the moment. 
No, I think stock uh, supply of used cars is a lot healthier now than it was uh, as we exited the first lockdown. Prices grew as we exited lockdown one month on month. So we started with a sort of pause market during lockdown. People held their nerve, followed the data, which I think helped the industry massively um, to avoid any sort of knee-jerk reaction that I think James touched on earlier. Vital we carry on doing the same in uh, in this current context. But prices grew month on month all the way through to about 8.5% uh, in the autumn and the back end of the year. We're still seeing prices up around 7% at the moment. Supply has got a little easier and demand is a little softer. So we're seeing supply that that, that um, pricing increase on like-for-like -like cars, year-on-year basis, come back slightly from its 8% plus. But 7% or so is still extremely positive. And I think it's that balance of supply and demand that I think the industry has found through the last few months, through obviously hugely challenging, uh, you know, uh, uh, hugely challenging situation, but it has helped the industry to retain better margins in both new and used cars because there's been a healthier, uh, high level of demand as we exited the first lockdown, even robust demand in the lockdowns and so on, and um, a, a following of the data that has enabled people to actually trade a more healthy uh, uh, level of new and used uh, cars that have supported their return from um, lockdown. If I can just add one last point to that, I think we, we, we see a data set at the moment in terms of consumer behavior that shows that lockdown three is much more like lockdown two. And um, as we exit, I think the, the I mean, whether it be March or April, I think the key is to, to, to remain focused on the, uh, the data-led approach regarding, uh, regarding pricing in particular. And if we can continue doing that, then I think there's enough demand out there for us to be able to continue uh, seeking these higher margins going forward. So, I think there's reason to be optimistic again from that front. Ian, stay with us because Ian Hartley uh, and others, Ian Hartley from uh, Emmingham Motors. Good afternoon, Ian. Um, thank you for your uh, question. And it's a general issue uh, that, that Ian is throwing. And we've, we've heard James and, and Rawdon quite rightly positive about the market going forward. But Ian's question, should we be spending more or less on marketing um, in the run-up to March, given there is some uncertainty about March, albeit things seem to be heading um, positively? Um, it, I think it depends on what sort of marketing you're talking about, to be honest. You've got to be um, shouting in a room where people are actually watching or listening to what you're saying. So clearly there are, there are obvious uh, examples of where you might be looking at media opportunities in our outdoor, which are totally irrelevant. If you were doing TV, but I don't think it's the case of many retailers, then you might have quite a, a captive audience, video on demand, etc. But I think aside from those media opportunities, there is clearly a need for readiness I think it's not just about coming out and, and sort of exiting in March in a strong and, and pacey manner. It's about how well we can operate now as well and taking all the good methods and good learnings from these challenging times as an ongoing sort of way of operating in the future. And fundamentally for, for me, it's all about merchandising quality. So we've embraced the digital forecourt in many years. We're now embracing the digital showroom for new cars as well and showing a transparent, um, compelling, inviting, appealing image of a car in a, uh, in a way that the consumer can uh, obviously engage at distance is something which will no doubt go well beyond the lockdown periods as being something of, of value to the consumer and therefore also to the industry. So I, I fundamentally focus my marketing now and going forward on, uh, on digital uh, merchandising, to be honest with you. Yeah, just brings back the old marketing adage, 50% uh, of marketing is wasted. If only I knew which 50% I'd be a very wealthy man. Um, we've got a, a, a bulky question, no surprise, from Andy Ross um, from Virtu. Good afternoon, Andy. 
who wants to know what the panel's view of Tesla doing test drives um, during lockdown three is. So let me start with Rawdon. Um, start off with you first of all, and we'll come to James. Uh, yeah, it came to my awareness last week, actually, that um, Tesla were doing test drives from stores or from the car parks of their stores um, uh, in, in England, but not but not some of the other um, UK countries, which was confusing. For me, I, I, I think it's important that the industry operates to a level playing field. I think the industry's operated very responsibly, both in terms of looking after customers, looking after their staff, um, and I think it's really important that the whole industry is held to the same standards. So I, I don't see any reason why, um, whether it be Tesla or any other manufacturer, should 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 fall out of line. It's it's very clear how the guidelines are written, um, and I think we should all be adhering to them. James, level playing field, we should all be playing the same way? So I think if I first of all say um, I have, I, I understand the motivation for Tesla because at the end of the day they're selling a product that you know they're, they're all you know, battery electric vehicles only are going to take. Um, you're going to take a consumer that may have never driven a battery electric vehicle. They're probably going to want to test drive the vehicle at some point. So I, I, in the back of my mind, is that sympathy. But I, I felt I had to say that before I say I think their action and the action of any dealer that's carrying out test drives at the moment is reckless. I think it's unsafe. And I think it's totally irresponsible. And the reason I say it's totally irresponsible is, you know, while you've got trade bodies lobbying for us to open the doors and trade normally as early as possible, this is not going to encourage legislators in that we're a responsible industry. So that's my view. Thank you. That's the point of having a conversation. You ask questions, you hear answers. Um, thank you for that. You've still got time for, for comments and questions. If you want to type them into the dialogue box as we continue um, our quarter one briefing. Um, I will come to you, Oliver uh, Woodmansey, who has a question on the possibility of negative interest rates. Interesting one. Will it impact the market, asks uh, Oliver. Ian, what's your view? I think the, the, uh, we've touched on the, the benefit at the moment of focusing on renewals. I think that's exactly where I'd be focusing if I was in the retailer's shoes right now. The consumer out there knows that there's a great deal to be had in terms of the, uh, the opportunity to refinance their car or to get, a, to get a new deal on a new car. And I think that's definitely uh, a positive sign. If, if, the, if the media can pick up on that story about ever more affordable credit, given that nine in 10 of our new cars and probably four or five in 10 of our used cars are bought in that way with point of sales finance, then that can only be a positive spur to uh, car buying interest. So uh, if it goes that way, it's going to pose challenges without doubt exactly how you adapt to it. But um, I think focus on credit is a, is a good thing right now. James, um, you've got some uh, some friends and some interested uh, viewers here this afternoon. Uh, Robert Wilson from the uh, Penton Motor Group, uh, who asks, why is Inchcape disposing of so many premium franchises? Should we be aware of something happening in the premium sector? Um, well, that's an interesting question. So uh, let, let me answer by saying this. Um, first of all, we are not disposing of any more sites. OK, so we had a program we laid out two years ago, which was a very strategic program, and I'll talk, talk you through that in a minute. Um, but the message for me is a really strong one, is that we've completed that program. There's always going to be the odd purchase and sale somewhere in normal course of business. But uh, uh, the ambition that we laid out two years ago is complete. And why did we sell down a number of sites? Well, there was a number of reasons for that. So when I joined the, this business four years ago, 
or rejoin this business, we had been quite acquisitive over the last two decades. We've got a number of businesses that were sort of set out as an island on their own, if you like. And we've got some businesses that were structurally impossible to make profitable. Um, unless you physically took another franchise on or you bought some land adjacent or, or whatever it happened to be. So we identified a number of sites that we wanted to sell and we've carried out that program. Um, we had the, the, so that was our initial program. We then extended that to a number of businesses that we you know, widely publicized Saltaverti, which actually as a group of businesses were profitable and it was possible to make them more profitable. I'm sure Verti will do. But frankly, they were the only group of businesses that we had sat in the Northeast. And having spent 18 months or so trying to find other franchises that we could build some scale around them, it wasn't possible because of the dominance of, of a number of players, particularly Verti in that area. So it was a sensible thing to move on. So, I, I mean, really simply, don't read anything into that around premium businesses or volume businesses or anything. It purely is a business decision for Inchcape. I mean, a couple of other things to add for you. If you look at it purely from a shareholder's perspective, you know, what we've done there is we've sold a number of sites, generated, including our IFS business, roughly £220 million of cash, handed that back to our shareholder, and at the same time ended up with a business that doesn't have sites that are losing money and, and is therefore improved its return on sales. That's not bad business by anybody's standards. And the 220 million we've returned, I mean, to put it in perspective, is whether you believe the valuation is not roughly equivalent to, say, Pendragon and Lucas market cap today put together. So it's a business decision. James, thank you for taking the question and, and giving us clarity. Uh, Rawdon, question for you. Um, Angus Smith from Mitchell Diva Tyres. Interesting topic. Will there be an impact on fleet sales? Uh, we're thinking about um, it, with more people working from home. Is that going to affect? I think I think the fleet sector has been in a, a bit of a state of not necessarily distress, but it's it's been it, it's been stymied for a long time in terms of whether it be whether it be fears about Brexit. So we've I, I think I, I think longer term quite possibly because I think actually the for many people that you know the perk of a, a of a company car if actually people aren't doing that same level of commute could actually be less important and therefore see a see a decline in the fleet market but in the very near term i think actually there's quite a lot of pent up demand in the fleet area and an awful lot of fleets that really do now need to have extended for probably as long as they can so i think in the near term no longer term possibly but i guess you know a lot of those customers will become cash for car customers and perhaps you know move into the retail sector so uh, we could see some medium term uh, changes uh, but I think short term will be will be fine. Thank you, Rodden. We're nearly uh, we're nearly through our questions. Thank you to everybody who's uh, who's contributed. We've got time for one more question. I'm going to take it from Duncan Ayres at the Hammond Group, and also Paul Jones from uh, Islington Suzuki. James, start with you, perhaps, but come to to Rodden as well. Do we need um, multiple showrooms in every town as things become more virtual? I mean, easy answer to that is clearly not. Um, and it kind of, you know, kind of gives you a little bit of a perspective on the question I answered earlier on. So my belief is very firm that we won't need multiple showrooms in town. No, um, I, I think you've got to decide what. I mean, in conjunction with your manufacturer partner, you know, what what areas and what layout geographically that you need. Um, I think it's highly unlikely you'll see many more appearing around towns going forward. Rawdon? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with James. I mean, I think. For, for our two brands, um, we've been on, I guess, an extended journey 
over sort of five, six years, I think we started off, we had over 200, well over 200 points of representation across Jaguar and Land Rover. Um, our, our current forecast is it's going to be closer to 200. Uh, and that's, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, there are certain places where you need to be. I think certainly the current experiences, and we've talked a lot about it a lot on this call, is uh, the physical touch point and the relationship with the retailer is still central, uh, but there are many things that the customer could do virtually um, and having, you know, having 150, 200 representation points for us would be unthinkable at this point in time. Thank you, Rodan. As our time draws to a close, it's tradition we turn the table and we ask for a quick tip and things to look to do from a practical perspective as we head back into the showroom. Ian, I'm going to come to you first. What's your recommendation or your word of wisdom today? Um, apart from today following the data, and as I touched on earlier, being, being pretty eye to the uh, detail in that respect. I think the real focus is about building for the future um, and focusing on the, the digital retailing angle that we've touched on several times during this call. Uh, Rod and James have both mentioned it, including just now. So uh, fundamentally, the, the car buying journey today is already different than it was yesterday. It's not going backwards, it's only going forwards. So I just urge everybody to engage with the their, their ability to merge their physical and digital touch points to make them join seamlessly for the consumer to be delighted. They've enjoyed doing that up to now. They've uh, bought more cars in that way than ever. You've probably made some efficiency gains, thanks for that. And I think there's much more to uh, to be done in that direction that can help the uh, the consumer, but as I said, and the industry to gain uh, gain some uh, value in the uh, in the months and years to come. Rawdon, what which idea can we put into action? Do you think? Uh, well, rather rudely, um, Ian's just stolen mine, so I'll have to think on my feet. Um, I, I think I think his point is really well made, and I think it's never been more more true around that physical digital size. But I think if I were to add one one more thing, it's probably uh, data management proactivity uh, for retailers. I, I think if I look to partners in our network that have really thrived in this period, where the traditional communication model of you know, an inquiry, somebody coming to the chest drive just hasn't existed. They really thrive because they they are absolutely on it in terms of CRM, finance retention, James talked to earlier on, selling to service customers, lost leads, age leads, you know, being really hot on, you know, the, the resurgence of telephone calls into the business, just being really, really on it in terms of knowing how many te telephones actually get through to the salespeople and quickly. And I think these are things that don't necessarily play to the strengths of all of our sales executives in the industry. Um, but certainly at the moment, it's the only way to sell right now. And, and we, you know, I think we've got some partners that do it ex exceptionally well um, and some that are on that journey. But, but those are really great disciplines to have at any point in time, whether it's for the next however long we're in this pandemic period, uh, but a great discipline to keep beyond that as well. So that, that would be my, may be my add. Final word to James Brearley, CEO of Inchcape UK. James, what's your word? So, firstly, I'd agree with both um, both Ian and, and Rod in what they've just said, actually. But the, the really practical tip from me is a really simple one. Ian said it earlier, follow the data. And the data is telling you today clearly that there is an undersupply versus reasonably healthy demand in the marketplace. So as we reopen, my message would be, particularly around used cars, don't sell the cars cheaply based on they've been in stock for 120 days or whatever it happens to be through a pandemic. Just make the most of the opportunity. 
James Brearley, thank you. Rawdon Glover, the Managing Director of Jaguar Land Rover UK, and Ian Plummer, the Commercial Director of Auto Trader, were your panel this afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I'm sorry if we didn't manage to get through your question this time, but we will be back uh, for the quarter two briefing on the 11th of May. What will the world look like then? Thank you very much for your time and have fun in the showroom.